creativity is not about the right thing. It's about finding multiple right things and picking one of them. So maybe my favorite creativity technique is to not have a favorite creativity technique. Hey guys, welcome to the Live Your Legacy podcast. The goal of our show is to connect you to people and concepts that have made a tremendous impact on the lives of others so that you can create a one degree shift in your life and live a legacy. My name is Darius and today we're diving deep into creativity. Today's legacy guest has inspired over 1 million people from stage. For the last 20 years, he has worked with hundreds of companies including Visa, BMW and IKEA to name a few on business creativity, human innovation, and embracing disruption and change. He was awarded as a Speaker of the Year in Sweden and has written 10 books, including the Idea Book, which was included in the 100 Best Business Books of All Time. While some speakers claim that they are global, few match this guy over here. He has given over 2,000 speeches in 67 countries across six continents of the world and usually speaks in 20 to 30 countries a year. If you are in need of a creativity and innovation fix, this is your go-to guy. Introducing the man all about creativity, Frederick Harwin. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice introduction. <laughs> okay, let's dive in deep into what really started with this whole passion of creativity. So my question is, where did this passion of pushing the limits of creativity come from in your life? Well, I, I guess if you want to go f uh, far, uh, far enough back, I think you can, you can uh, identify the fact that I have, an, I, I have an identical twin brother, which is very unusual. And uh, if you don't have it, I'm going to guess, I'm going to assume you're not a twin but if, uh, so I'm going to tell you what it is to, to have a twin brother when you grow up, I mean, identical twin brother, because technically it's, it's the same DNA and it's the same environment you grow. So it both nurture and nature is exactly the same, right? If you grow up in the same family. So being a twin is like one third, a sibling, one third, your best friend and one third yourself, if you can imagine this. So it means, uh, I've been thinking a lot about it. It means that whenever I, and I, like when you had, when you were growing up, if you had an idea, you, you had an idea and then you wanted to share it with someone, you would run around in the, in, to your family or your neighborhood or your friends and you'd try to find someone who could kind of get the idea on the same level as you did. And it's quite difficult to do that because they are not you. But when I had an idea, I could share it with my brother and he was just like me. So it was almost like share, it was almost like doing an internal brainstorming with someone outside. So whenever I had to, every time I had an idea, he would get it and he would build upon it and throw it back to me and boom, boom, like do, 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 do. So I thought everyone was like this. Everyone had an idea, shared it with someone and you could just go like back and forth, back and forth. We would invent new games and change the rules. He was always willing to do it because he understood what I was thinking. And I think that made me grow up in a way where, where, I, where I thought that having ideas and sharing ideas was something that was very natural and easy to do. And then I get out, come out in the real world and realize most people didn't have a person like that growing up. So. I think that's, the, that's one of the answers. Another answer is my mother was a teacher. My father was a musician. So he was an entertainer. My mother was a teacher. You take knowledge, teaching, uh, and you take entertainment. You combine the two. You, you, get, a, you get a keynote speaker because that's what keynote speakers do. And, uh, and my, father, my, my mother was a very good teacher. It was like a Montessori teacher, which is all about 
nurturing the, the, the creativity of the child. And my father was, the, I was also a music teacher. He was a musician and a music teacher. And he was one of the most creative teachers I've ever met. And so I grew up in, with teachers in my, in my family that were very creative. So that was encouraged from, from early on. I realized that creativity pretty much runs in your blood. <laughs> you got a twin yes, brother exactly. and then you got pretty creative parents, right? Both in like the arts and creative field as well. So creativity and innovation are usually mentioned along the same line. But what is the difference between the two? So uh, there's, uh, there's a big problem with the word innovation and that's that there's multiple definitions to the word. If you ask, I've asked tens of thousands of people, what, what's the definition of, what's your definition of an idea? What's your definition of creativity? What's your definition of innovation? And when it comes to the word innovation, there, there, uh, a lot of people think that innovation means something new, like something that has never been done with before. It's an innovation. And some people think that innovation means the process of making the idea happen. And, and those are very different definitions. And it's about 50-50 for those. So that means that when you use the word innovation, a lot of people think that you mean, oh, they, if the CEO goes up and says, I want us to innovate, half of the company thinks, oh, the CEO means that we should come up with something brand new. And the other half thinks that, oh, the CEO wants us to make ideas happen. So what, well, well what, did, what did the CEO mean? You, you, need to, you need to define what you mean. So I try to avoid the word innovation. I don't talk so much about innovation because it's a word that no one really, there's no common ground for what we mean by it. And that's very dangerous because if we don't know what we mean with the word, we can assume it means, we, we might think we use the same word, but we don't have the same meaning behind it. So I like, I talk a lot about ideas and I talk a lot about creativity. So we could instead say, what's the difference between creativity and ideas? Which, uh, so I, the idea is, is that magical moment when you, uh, when you come up with something that is new to you but creativity is the whole process. So it's, it's not, it doesn't start when you have an idea. It starts when you have a problem, right? So the classic Archimedes is sitting in a, uh, you know, the Eureka moment. Uh, Archimedes sits down in a bathtub and has an idea. But the creative process didn't start there. The creative process started when the king said to Archimedes, how do I have a problem? How do I know if my crown is really... Uh, pure gold or only gold plated. So uh, he, Archimedes got a problem and then he thought about it and he thought about it and he thought about it and then he sat down in the bathtub and he realized that the body would push out the water and he could measure the water. That's when the idea came but the creative process had been going on for a long time before he had the idea. And then he tested it out with other things afterwards which is also part of the creative process. So cre creativity is the process of having ideas and making them happen. Okay, that's a very good differentiation between ideas and creativity which is making it happen. So tons of people um, have this whole argument and debate of whether creativity is innate or not. Since they are the master of creativity, please dispel this whole question of is creativity innate or not? Yeah, so that's the most common question I get. I get it so often, I don't answer it anymore. <laughs> In, instead, I turned the question back to the person who asked it, and I said, what do you think? So I'm going to ask you, what do you think? Is it innate or can it be? Well, I don't think it's innate at all. I think it's a lot more about training yourself to be creative. And if you have a system that gets you creative, then I'm sure that you can actually match up to a, a so-called creative person that people label as. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's the funny thing. So when I turn the question back to the person who answers, 99% of the time, people give that answer. So I think that answers the question. Almost everyone agrees 
it is not uh, something that you can't change. But I like to, and I, and I, of course, I teach creativity. So obviously I'm in, in the same camp as you, otherwise it would be kind of ironic. But I also do this analogy between basketball or, or music, for example, music. My brother, my father was a musician, right? But uh, I inherited a lot from my mother. So, so I'm not very good at music. But my brother, my younger brother, he has perfect pitch. So he can hear a song once and he can play it. So he's, he's a natural. Like my grandfather was a, was, wrote music books for schools. My father was, so my, my younger brother inherited the musical gene, right? So now you could argue, so is, mus is musicality born or is it innate or is it, can it be taught? And the, the answer is that, or, that yes, some are born with more, um, like my brother is born with perfect pitch. He's more inclined to be, it's easier for him to learn an instrument than it is for me. But that doesn't mean I cannot learn to play an instrument. Everyone can learn to play an instrument. Some people are born tall, some people are born short, which means tall people are, it's easier for them to become good at basketball. But it doesn't mean that just because you are tall, you're a great basketball player. You can be a terrible basketball player, even if they're, and, you, and one of the, some of the best basketball players in the world are actually short, if you think about it. So, so, and it's the same with creativity. Some people are born with extreme, just born naturally to be creative. And some people are, are having a childhood where that's very much encouraged. And then that makes it easy for them to be creative later in life. But I actually, I'm a firm believer that creativity is something that you can really trigger any time in your life. And I, I love to go and uh, because a lot of people, you know, the famous speech by Sir Ken Robinson that school kills creativity. And absolutely it's true. But that doesn't mean it can't be revived again. So I think, like, I live in Singapore and a lot of people complain about Singapore and say Singapore is not, we're not creative. I said, well, maybe you were not taught to be creative, but that doesn't mean you can't become creative. I think it's like a switch. It's a switch that can be, uh, that can be turned on any time in life, actually. Okay, so let's dive in more into that switch, right? And before that, I just really want to say, I think talking about creativity, whether in it or it's trained, right? I think a lot, it has a lot to do with mindset as well, right? That is the difference between like what Carol Dweck say, it's a growth mindset or fixed mindset. If you think that it can't be changed, then it won't be changed. But if you think that your skills and ability can be improved, then it can be improved. So let's dive in into more of that switch that you're talking about. How do we actually train ourselves to be more creative and flick the switch back on like what you said? Yes, maybe I can quote my father again. So uh, my father, because he was teaching music, right? So he had this quote where he said, you can teach every, any child to play an instrument because every year he would get you know, 20 new kids coming in and, they were, and he had to teach them to play the harmonica, right? And some were just terrible and some were, could do it after one lesson, right? But he said, it doesn't matter how bad they are. I can teach anyone to play an instrument. Like you need to put your fingers like this, you need to blow like this. And then at the end of the semester, they could all play in a concert together. Right? You can teach anyone to play an instrument, but the only way to make someone a musician is through inspiration. So he said like Michael Jackson would, yeah, as a child was you know, pushed by his parents to become music. But Michael Jackson didn't become Michael Jackson because his parents pushed him. They became Michael Jackson because he was looking at like, well, how did Fred Astaire do it? How did Fred Sinatra do it? Like he learning dancing and he looked at all the greats and he would pink, take things from them and say, wow, that's great, that's great, that's great. And then that's the, like uh, Mick Jagger is not a very good singer if you think about it. But he's a great musician because he, 
and, and he inspires more people to become musicians than someone who has perfect pitch and sings every tone perfectly. So, and it's very true for creativity. I think creativity more than anything else is inspired. You see someone do something creative. Uh, it can be that you watch a YouTube video of someone, uh, I don't know, painting cars with post-it notes or something. And you, you say, wow, that's really cool. And then you go and do something else with post-it notes. You're not going to do that idea. You're just inspired by something, someone doing something creative. So cre 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 inspiration is extremely important for creativity. Okay. And you talk about inspiration, right? Where do you go for, for like a constant source of inspiration? I'm quite sure that you don't like go over, or do you actually go over the place to find inspiration for yourself? Yeah, so it, it depends how, what you are, who you are as a person. So for me, my inner theme, like we can talk, my inner theme, like the, the theme that drives me is humanity to the power of ideas. So humanity to the power of ideas. And that means I believe in the potential of humanity and I believe in the power of human creativity, right? So for me, I'm very interested in, in creativity on a global human, from a global human perspective. I want to learn from everyone. I want to... That's why, I, so I go literally everywhere to look for inspiration about creativity. I was in North Korea in August. I wonder what can we learn about North, what can we learn about creativity from the North Koreans? I've got, I go to Mongolia, I go to a paper artist in Thailand. I go, um, I, I, I interviewed the, the, just a couple of days ago, I interviewed the, the hostage negotiator at Scotland Yard. What can we learn about creativity from a hostage negotiator from Scotland Yard. So I go to the most unexpected places because I define myself as the creativity explorer. So I want to go and explore creativity where we haven't explored it so much before. I go to Silicon Valley too, but I don't, I don't go there. I don't go to the traditional innovation hubs. I want to go to the places where we haven't studied creativity so much and say, what can we learn about creativity from these areas? Because I think we can learn about crea uh, crea human creativity from all kinds of humans. I, I don't, uh, I think creativity is in every nation, in every culture, in every industry, and I want to study it where it hasn't been studied so much. And I learned a lot about creativity in North Korea and in, uh, uh, or anywhere I go. Okay, so now you're talking about you exploring your places and your ideas, right? Um, do, like, run us through how do you stem from inspiration to an idea? And maybe use an example that you had uh, traveling to North Korea or some other country. Yeah, so, so my point is that for me, I need to go all over the place to, to uh, so now in the lockdown, for example, I've been doing a lot of Zoom calls. I think in the, the last months, I interviewed 24 different people in 10 different countries on three continents on how they look at creativity because I, I can't just sit, so I need to do this, but uh, let's, you don't need to do that. Like it, it depends where, you, I get my inspiration from meeting as many different people from many different countries and cultures as possible. That's my thing. I've been speaking in 70 countries. I've, I've researched creativity in 50 countries. That, that's what I do. But I do that, this year is a crazy year, so let's skip this year. But normally I do that about eight to 10 months per year. And then two to four months per year, I don't travel at all. So I have, a, I have an island in Sweden. So two months every summer, except this summer, but every summer, we go, our family, we go to an island, we have a private island and for two months, we, I just sit on this island and I don't travel. I hardly use the internet. I just play with my kids because that's when my brain looks at all of those different people that I met and all this different input that I got. Uh, and then I can combine those things and have new ideas. So you have to remember that inspiration means to breathe in. Yeah? in literally, inspiration means to breathe in. It's a medical term. 
and, uh, and then you have uh, perspiration, you breathe out, right? So if you're constantly being inspired, you can, and you can never breathe out. And to breathe out is to be creative. Creative to create something is output. So a lot of people do the mistake that they're constantly looking for inspiration all the time. But if you do that, you never have time to actually, like that you read uh, uh, one book a week, every week, because you want to know all the novels, you're all constantly reading, but you, but you, are, you want to write a book, but when are you going to write it, right? So I, so I do my same time. I do interview after, I interview hundreds, thousands of people and I collect material, but then I go away and I sit on a beach somewhere for two weeks and I just write. And I just, and then when, that's when I breathe out. That's when the creativity comes, the output comes. Now you need to balance like, that. Well, it seems like you're doing more of reflection, am I right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're doing more of reflection. It's, it's two different period. things. Uh, so the inspiration, so when you stop the inspiration, you get the reflection time. Like everyone knows that the really best ideas come when you are like meditating or sleeping or, or, or in a trance or like almost falling asleep or sitting in a train looking out of the window. So really, really good ideas come when you're not bombarded in, by, by input, right? So that's one thing. But you need to get all that inspiration first. Otherwise, your brain has nothing to connect. So that's one of the reasons why you need to take the off time and just do nothing. And the other one is that you need to take off time so that you can create. In, if, it's an, if you're a writer, you need to just write that book. And then when you're in writing phase, it's not about uh, meditating or reflecting. It's about getting the book, like write 10,000 words every day, like get, it, get something out. So otherwise, you, you, uh, you're not creating anything. It's kind of like those entrepreneurs who are going to all the entrepreneurs' conferences, but they never start a company. It's the same thing. Like you need is enough with the conferences. Start a company, right? Create something. That's very interesting because your way of getting creativity and getting inspiration, right, is very, very different from other people. Like what you say, right? For you personally, yourself, you're going to go to different countries because you call yourself a creative explorer, right? So how do... Um, the people listening right now, how are they going to find their own, how do they find their own inspiration? How do they find their own creative process? Well, that's very simple. You ask yourself, what inspires my creativity? That's very simple. Most, most people have never asked themselves this question, but they should. Uh, I, 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 I became a, I, I started studying creativity because when I was 32, I sold my company. And then I said, okay, now what, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? Do I want to start another company? And I said, no, I just want to study creativity. That's all I want to do. I just want to study, research, interview people, learn, and then speak about it. And then for, for 20 plus years, that's what I've been doing. And then I said, okay, so where, how do I, what's my perfect inspiration? So I meet, travel as much as you can. I go to 20 to 35 countries per year, except this year, but normally, right? I was in 24 countries last year. That's my thing. It's not, you, you might hate traveling, but I just live, I live for it. Okay. So, and then you also say that what kills my creativity? What, when, am I, when, when am I the last, the least creative? When do I don't, uh, is it bureaucracy? Is it deadlines? Is it like, what is it? And then build a life, build a life that is, as, as, uh, as that is, in, what do you call it? In, um, like fertil that fertilizes your creativity as much. Like for example, stress kills my creativity. So I have built my whole life around not having stress. Which means, for example, when my kids were growing up, we had two helpers. Not because we needed two helpers, but because I said, you know what? I'm never going to be stressed about the fact that I can't 
go to this meeting because I need to pick up my son. So we, we had two helpers even when we didn't need two helpers. It was like a bit of an overkill, but it made my home life super unstressed. Uh, so anything that, and I built anything that stresses me out. I, I built, I, I kill it. I build my life around not being stressed because stress kills my creativity. For some people, stress is great for their creativity. It's like a plant. Some, some plants need a lot of sunshine. Some plants need no, like they need to be in the shade. So you need to know what kind of plant are you? <laughs> the, are you one that are being triggered by like, Apollo 13? There's a, there's a huge problem. There's stress. We, and then people get together and we're super creative. So some people are like this. So, so think about what kind of creative process drives you, what inspires you, what makes you create. Ask yourself these questions and build your life that way. And most people don't. And that's very interesting with the questions that you ask. And it's just very frank and straightforward, right? Sometimes we don't actually ask ourselves the question of where do we get most of our inspiration to create, a create, to create right, things and ideas. So in one of your best-selling books, The Idea Book, right, there's a lot of creativity prompts in there, I've seen. What do you think are like your the three top creativity exercises for you to start uh, ideating and through your whole creative process? Okay, so I don't have a favorite anything. If you ask me what's my favorite city or my favorite song or my favorite entrepreneur or mentor or anything, I don't have anyone like that. I don't believe in the concept of having a favorite. I have one wife. I'm very happy with that. But apart from that, I don't have favorites. So I don't, uh, like if you ask me what's the most inspiring person you've interviewed, I go like the one I interviewed last week. Like it's always the one. So I, I don't like favorites. I don't even like to teach, like my book, like you said, the idea book has 63 different exercises in it because I don't believe that creativity is like one, like you have to use six thinking hats or you have to use brainstorming or you have to use mind mapping. I say, you know what, let's use all of them and let's try all of them and then figure out which one works for you. I hate mind mapping. I think it's stupid. I've tried, I've read all the books, I've tried it. It doesn't work for my brain. So, so I mean, kudos to Tuna Bazan, but it's a great technique, but not for everyone. So stop pushing this idea that you need to mind map. You don't need to mind map. Some people should mind map, some people should not. So I don't like to give techniques saying you have to use this technique because you should, and I teach a lot of different techniques, a lot of different techniques. And then to try some of these and then pick the ones that work for you. I mean, it's a bit of a boring answer maybe, but I think it's an important lesson. Creativity is not about the right thing. It's about finding multiple right things and picking one of them. So maybe my favorite creativity technique is to not have a favorite creativity technique. No, that's very interesting. This is the first time that I probably got a response like that, that, you know, do not limit yourself in that box. And it's really about whether you're thinking outside the box or you're thinking within the box, right? So I really love the your whole answer of that. Some but, things work better for others and some might not work for you, right? But it's a lot yeah, more of exploring. Also, it's also about, yeah, actually, in, uh, a lot of people are stuck in, they have their favorites. Like when I moved to Singapore for the long, for months, I think mean, almost for one year, I had a rule. I can never go back to the same restaurant twice. I have to eat in a new restaurant and I, I don't cook. So I would go out every day, two, days, two times per week, uh, two times per day. I would go, I always eat out when I was, because I came, I was single. Now we have, a, now we, of course, eat at home much more often. But when I came, I was single. I went out, I would eat outside. But I never eat, ate at the same restaurant twice. Because the whole idea was, I don't want to have a favorite restaurant I, because there's like 10,000, 100,000 restaurants in Singapore. Why decide that you have a favorite when you haven't tried all of them yet? 
So after a while, I've, I've done all the ones closest to my apartment. Suddenly I have to work, walk like a kilometer to find a new restaurant I haven't been to before. But it pushes you to not have, to not live in the past. Like in Sweden, we have this uh, nostalgia, like the, the, the idea of thinking that it was better in the past. That used to be a disease in Sweden, like a hundred years ago. The doctor would give a, a pill if you were suffering from nostalgia. I think that's a very, very good uh, observation. Like you should not live in the past. You should, and you shouldn't have favorite and say this, uh, this is my favorite, this and that. If you haven't tried all the, don't have a favorite restaurant unless you tried all of them. That's my, that's my, that's my, and that's true for everything. No, this is very, no, this, this is quite a uh, very interesting and very provocative thought because I myself, I know I have a favorite restaurant. And when you just said that just now, I was thinking, it is very true that you can't really say that you have a favorite if you haven't explored every single one of it. And I don't think anyone can ever explore everything. I show you how right. stupid it is because I have a friend in Sweden once and he had a friend and they went into a restaurant and they was by accident, they were serving deer as the lunch of the day. Like, like in a, let's say like in a hawker center, suddenly they had deer, deer steak for like $3, right? Like, because they, they, some, someone had booked a wedding and they didn't, and it got canceled. They had all this meat. It was going to go wasted anyway. So they said, let's just sell it for lunch the next day. So some, everyone got like a great deal. And this other guy said, sorry, I don't eat deer. And like, oh, so why don't you eat deer? Is it, are you like allergic or you don't eat meat? And he goes, no, no, I, um, when I was 15, I decided I knew what, I, what kind of food I like. So I never tried anything new after that. So, so that is, no, everyone would realize how stupid this is. Like, so, so, so he couldn't eat deer because he hadn't, he hadn't tried deer when he was 15. And everyone sees that is stupid, but most people are actually quite close to this guy. And they have this, I, I eat this, I don't eat this, I like this, I don't like this, I, I eat here, I don't eat. You can't have a favorite restaurant in Singapore. You've tried 100 or 200 out of how many? It's crazy. You said, out of the restaurants I've been to, this is my favorite. But I'm, much, I'm pretty sure there's an even better restaurant in Singapore. Actually, you know what? I'm convinced there is. So, and to limit yourself and say, you know what? Out of the 100 I've tried, that is very close to the guy at 15 saying, I have eaten everything I like and I'm going to try something new. So it's a mindset of there's, there's something better out there. And actually, if you think about it, that's what creativity is. There's someone saying, you know, there's a better way to do something than the way we're doing it now. Now, this whole thing is... Uh really interesting and the whole point of really just not setting a limit to what uh, your mind has, right? And not really, and more importantly, not living in your past or setting your own standards, but rather exploring new standards, exploring um, new ways and new ideas that you yourself can create as well. So I don't want to touch about like all 63 prompts in your, in your ideal book, but can you just tell the audience a few of the prompts that maybe you yourself also used to, to, to this day um, for the audience to actually apply on. Yeah, okay. So there's one uh, classic one that, I, I, that I, uh, I like to share. And that's one is called take away the fundamental. So you write down what's the basic fundamental of the problem that you're trying to solve. You make a list and, you take, you, and then you take them away. So for example, uh, I can ask, I'll ask you, in the book I use taxi as an example. What's the basic fundamental of a taxi driver? A taxi driver really needs to know two things. What? He needs to know one. He needs to know where to go. Okay, yeah. And? And he needs to find customers, right? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. And yeah. And he needs to know how to drive a car, right? Yep. Those, are, those are basic fundamentals. But if you look at it, like, okay, so let's say, that, uh, let's say that he knows how to drive a car, but he doesn't know how to get the customers. Or let's say he doesn't know how to get there. 
Well, actually, that's Grab, or that's Uber, right? The people who started Uber and Grab, they said, you know what? A taxi driver doesn't need to know the way. And I had, I had, a Gra I had an, an Uber driver in, in Manila, or a Grab, I don't remember, Uber Grab, uh, and he had moved from the province into Manila one week before he had me as a customer. And if you've driven in Manila, you know it's one of the most crazy cities in the world to drive a car. It, it's totally, it's, it's I've been there a hundred times and it's very, very confusing to drive there. But he lived there for one week and still he got me to the right location. Why or how? Because he doesn't need to know the way. So uh, the, the, the Grab people or the Uber people, Uber I guess, the Uber people realized that you don't need to know the way to be a taxi driver and suddenly everyone could be a taxi driver as long as they had a mobile phone. And that's a great example of, of questioning this basic fundamental concept that taxi drivers need to know every street. Bullshit, they don't need to know a single street. And, and that technique works, uh, works brilliantly. But not every time, because 99% of the time, if you write down what's the basic fundamental of, of uh, uh, like 99% of the time, it's going to be a bad idea, of course. Like imagine a taxi driver who doesn't know how to drive a car. Let's put kids in cars. That's a stupid idea. But once in a while, this technique works really, really well because you, you venture into an area that almost no one else has gone to because they think oh, all ideas here are stupid. But the Uber idea is actually a great example that it wasn't stupid to go there. Uh, so that, that's a very simple technique that doesn't work most of the time, but when it works, it works really, really well. I use the other, when I do speaksters, I use this, you were mentioning Ikea. So I use this example, Ikea used this technique. On their basket, have you been to Ikea? Yep, have been. Yeah, okay. So when you go into Ikea, where are the baskets? Baskets all the way at the back, right? All the way at the back. Actually, they're the everywhere. Actually, they're not baskets, they're bags. Oh, so bags, yeah, bags is everywhere. First, they question, do they really have to be baskets? What if they are bags? But then they question, where are baskets in a store? And everyone says they should be in the beginning. But they are in Ikea, they are not at the beginning. They are everywhere. And why are they everywhere? Because when people walk into the Ikea, they don't take a bag because they think they're just going to buy like two or three things. But then they, can, they go in and they pick up more and more things and suddenly they are in the middle of the store and now their hands are full and this is when they wish they had a bag and what do Ikea have right there? They have bags. And then you're almost at the end of Ikea. What do Ikea have at the end of the store? They have the trolleys. There are no trolleys in the beginning of the store. The trolleys are at 80%. When you've gone through 80% of the store, that's where the trolley, because that's when people need the trolleys. So Ikea questioned where, and also Decathlon did the same thing. In Decathlon, there are baskets in every aisle. Right? So it works for Ikea and it works for Decathlon. So why, don't, why doesn't all stores put bags a little bit everywhere in the store? It's a perfect example of just questioning the most fundamental thing. Of course, the, of course the baskets have to be in the beginning. Well, what if they were not? Now that's really interesting, questioning the fundamentals. Because tons of us always stick to fundamentals like a rule and it's like, I think it's because maybe, I'm not sure if in other countries, but me in Singapore, right? Everything is always go by the book, go by the fundamentals. Yeah. And then because oh, of sure. that, <laughs> we, we grow up and then we start thinking every of our idea actually stems from fundamentals, right? Instead of stemming an idea from questioning the fundamentals. So this, this was uh, something very interesting that you brought up, which is really just, um, dissecting out the fundamentals and questioning the fundamentals rather than uh, coming out with ideas from the fundamentals itself. Okay, so. Yeah. Because so every idea basically, every idea is basically breaking the rule book, right? That 
even if it breaks it a little bit or it breaks it a lot, but every new idea breaks the rule book or the playbook, I, maybe we should call it, breaks the playbook a little bit and then we rewrite the playbook and then someone breaks it again. That's true for science, it's true for entrepreneurship, it's true for everything. Now, you talk about this whole thing on the playbook and really just exceeding that norm or just breaking that rule, right? Like you said, how do we know? Like sometimes there might be people who are really like breaking it way too far and maybe that, create, that idea isn't even, um, it, that idea may not even work. Right now, how do we know that you know we're breaking that rule way too far and taking it too far? Well, first of all, we don't. Second of all, the risk is not that big. Most, most, most people are, I would argue, are not like this is, this is doing uh, everything the way we've always been doing it. And this is, let's say, never changing everything is zero. Always changing everything is a hundred. Okay, and of course not even I say that we should be at a hundred. I don't, I think it's, I don't want to come up with a new way of putting on my clothes every day I wake up and never use my, never dress in the same way ever. Okay, that's stupid. Some people might say it's stupid to go to a new restaurant every, every time, right? But, but if, if questioning everything all the time is a hundred and never questioning everything is zero, most people are, I would say at 30. And I'm not saying we should go to a hundred. I'd say, let's go to 35. Uh, let's question a little bit more. Let's question a little bit of a little, uh, let's question a few more things. And I'm not even saying change more things. I'm just saying questioning more things because questioning something doesn't, is not dangerous. People are like, what would happen if we question everything? Nothing would happen if we question everything. It only happens when we change things. So, uh, so I'm not even saying we should change everything. I say we should question everything. And then we can decide, you know what? This is actually... This is actually, the way we do it is actually the best way. So let's continue to do it that way. But we should always question why we do something. That the best thing that ever happened to me was to leave Sweden and move to China and then leave China and move to Singapore. Because when you leave your home country, you realize how many of the decisions that you think you are taking by yourself are actually being taken by your culture. So I give you a good, I, this is a story I love, to, I love to tell. So when I moved to Singapore, when I moved to China, the first week, the first few weeks I was there, uh, I didn't, again, I, I moved there, I was single, I didn't know anyone, I didn't speak the language, I had no friends, I just landed in Beijing and I was by myself. So I would go out, a lot of times I would go to restaurants and I would, I had nothing, like I would eat by myself. I would point at the menu because I didn't know what I was ordering. I would order three dishes because I know one of them I wouldn't like, I wouldn't, I would, I would hate, but the other two I could eat. But then they would serve me the dish and they would give me a fork, a knife, a spoon, and two chopsticks because they didn't know how I wanted to eat it. And I didn't know how you were supposed to eat it because I hadn't lived in China long enough, right? So suddenly, for the first time in my life, I was like almost 30, I was 35 or something. For the first time in my life, I looked at a, a plate of food and I said to myself, how do I want to eat this? But for 30 years in Sweden, I, someone gave me a food and I would say, oh, fork and, uh, fork and knife. Okay, let's eat. Like, I didn't question if fork and knife was the best way to eat it. Everyone eats with a fork and a knife. Then I moved to China and suddenly I was eating with, everyone was eating with chopsticks. Then my, I married a woman from the Philippines. In the Philippines, it's, it's fork and spoon, right? And they, they eat everything with a fork and a spoon. So now which one, but no one questions it. But because I've done all three now, I, when, I, when I'm served food, I, how do I want to eat this? And maybe I will eat it with one fork and one chopstick. You know, I will try. I will come up with the best way of eating it. I question those basic, basic 
uh, almost like it's not uh, laws of nature, but it's laws of culture. It's it, and it's it's almost like gravity. Like it's it's a law. It's a it's a it's a law of nature. It's a law of culture. It's so ingrained in us that we assume if we are Chinese that we should eat with chopsticks because chopsticks are the best. No, they are not. Very often they are not, and you should eat with chopsticks a lot of things. Like soup with chopsticks is a very bad idea, and still you do it. Come on, get a get a spoon. But uh, and in Sweden we did we do a lot of those things. But by moving out, I suddenly I took my own decision and I questioned how I wanted to eat something, and that's huge. It's extremely liberating. Now that that brings up a whole new question of like how culture really kind of makes us focus and fixate on a particular set of norms rather than breaking out their norms and the rules, yeah. right? I mean, and culture, culture and tradition is is great. I'm not saying it's not a good thing, but, and a lot of people look at this and say, oh, fine, uh, all our, all our uh, national dishes are gone and now it's all Starbucks and McDonald's. I don't like that. I think that's stupid. I want to have a lot of different choices, but I love the idea that I can eat Thai food and Japanese food and Italian food. I like the variety of it. And I always say that culture, the way we do it is great. It's, it goes back to the questioning, but we should look what are they doing in another culture? And if that is better than what we have been doing, for God's sake, let's change. Let's do it better, right? There is no reason to keep something in your culture when there is proof that there's a better way of doing it somewhere else. Like I give you another example. My, uh, my, my wife is Filipino, I'm Swedish, right? So we got married, now we had kids. If I married a Swedish woman, we would not have a discussion. We would say, okay, let's raise our kids like you're supposed to raise them which means like we raise kids in Sweden, which is very different from how you do it in the Philippines, right? Uh, Philippines is a religious country, Sweden is not. Um, in Sweden, you, I mean, you never hit your kids. It's unheard of. No one, we were the first country in the world to ban hitting kids. Or our kids are born in Singapore, so should we raise, so now should we raise them Swedish way? Should we raise them Filipino way? Or should we raise them Singaporean way, right? Should we hit our kids or should we not hit our kids? In Sweden, I wouldn't even have that discussion. It's just, we would just assume you don't hit kids. But now, because my wife is from the Philippines and she was hit a lot growing up by her grandmother. So now we have to have our discussion. Should we, have, should we hit kids? Should we not hit kids? What is the advantage of hitting kids? What's the advantage of not hitting kids? And now we have to argue back and forth. Not argue as in fighting. We have to provide arguments for why should we hit or should we not hit. In Sweden, we don't have respect for old people. In Asia, you have respect for old people. And suddenly, now we can say, you know what? I like the Asian way. So let's teach our kids to have respect for old people. So we, we don't hit our kids. We do the Swedish way, but we teach respect for old people. We do the Asian way. And we take the best of both, which means I, my kids are growing up better than if they would have grown up in the Philippines or if they would have grown, been grown up in Sweden. And, and they, take, they are not losing culture, they are gaining the best of each culture. And then we take the best of Singapore, we combine all of it. I think you really That's touched on, the, on, on a new lens of growth. Because usually when people say like, oh, I want to grow further, right? I want to grow further as a person. Then we start asking ourselves questions of like, oh, what can I improve on and things like that. But your way of growth is through creativity, which brings up a new lens on questioning things and questioning almost like for you right it's quite amazing that you question almost every single thing uh, that you do yeah. like i know for myself that i probably uh in terms of my subconscious mind maybe my subconscious mind questions but i know my i don't consciously question a lot of things that i do and i think this whole uh, podcast interview i think it really opens that whole door of for people to start questioning on 
is this the best way to do it, right? Or is this the best idea? Or what other ideas can assemble from this? Are the fundamentals yeah. actually the best ways to do it? Right? And I'm, I'm getting like a lot of different ideas right now after you, after you started this whole thing of questioning, right? Then I start realizing that, hey, I actually haven't been questioning myself enough because we tend to just grow up and then we just think like, oh, okay, you know, there's a norm. We're going to stick to the norm. Right? And because we don't want to stick out like a soft arm, we don't want to like feel bad that, oh, we are different from the rest. Right? So, uh, one of the last few questions is like... So, so that when you're speaking, basically, there are, you know, screw, grow, screw growth mindset, okay? It's, you should have a questioning mindset because when you have a question mindset, that's when you grow the most. Because if, if growth mindset, a lot of people look at growth mindset and said, oh, I, uh, I can't play the piano yet. That's not, that is, that you, people might look at that and say, that's a growth mindset. But a question in my mindset is, it makes you grow much more. Because then you might say, you know what, maybe, why should I play the piano? Maybe I should, maybe I should uh, play the saxophone. Maybe I should take a saxophone and a piano, combine the two and build a new instrument that no one has ever played before. That you will grow much more with a question in mindset than you will with a growth mindset. That's very interesting. And then one of my last few questions is a lot about like standing out as a person because let's say for you, right? You have very, very, very different views from other people as well. I mean, for people who are younger, right? People who are in their twenties and thirties, we always tend to like stick towards a norm and we don't want to like stand out and go like, Oh, these are my ideas. And like, I mean, I'm not sure in your country, but I'm quite sure in, like in Singapore, we don't want, it's not comfortable, right? For us to go out of the norm and say like, Hey, this, why, why, why are you doing this, right? We should totally do this whole crazy new idea, right? And it might not be very easy for people who are, it's not very easy for people who are uncomfortable to voice out their opinions of like, oh, let's try out this new idea and let's try out this new idea and voicing out to their team. So how do we go about um, becoming more natural and becoming more comfortable with um, Okay, I, I don't. Way. Yeah, I understand the question. I don't agree with this with the premise, though. I I think young people are much better at quest. Uh, young people, per definition, question. That's what that is what they do. They the if you you look at a lot of of the greatest a lot of great innovations. Like I I grew up during the internet revolution. I started my first internet company when I was twenty seven. The whole internet revolution. Like, the founders of Google, the founders of Yahoo, the founders of uh, Apple, like what's the common denominator? They quit university and they, they saw something that the older generation didn't say, see and they said, you know what, why are, why, why is, why are businesses not using computers? Why are businesses not using uh, the internet, right? So they questioned the state, status quo and they, they had enough knowledge about what, how the world worked, but they also saw the new possibilities and they say, why isn't not anyone using the internet? Okay, well, I'll do it then. So I think for sure you are, uh, if you don't question, it's when you're young that you are better positioned. You question more things when you're young than when you're old. The advantage of being old though, is that the older you become, the more you, you, you stop caring what other people think. So the, it's a very, teenagers are, are is that uh, teenagers, everyone, every, teenagers questions everything at the same time they want to be like everyone else. So there's a huge human paradox in that. But so the trick is to balance that. So I, I don't th I think young people are very primed to be creative by questioning. I also think old people are actually primed to question because they're more comfortable. They don't care so much. What they, they know who, they are more comfortable in who they are. 
which is good because they don't care so much for what other people think, but they also might think that they say, well, this is who I am. And then you stop questioning because you think you know who you are. So there are advantages and disadvantages when it comes to questioning at any age. So you just need to ride with the, you know, roll with the punches and, and take advantage of whatever. If you're young, use the fact that you're not so stuck in how things are done. If you're old, use the fact that you care less about what other people think. Okay, great. So before I ask my last question, just want to tell the audience, how can we connect and learn more from you? Okay, well, uh, actually, so uh, yeah, I'm mostly active on LinkedIn, actually. So would love you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I post a lot of, inf a lot of content, a lot of videos and stuff on that. And so it's just uh, Frederick Karen or, or Google the Creativity Explorer and you should hopefully find me. And it's frederickharen.com uh, if, if my website. And we'll put all the links below for you to check out. So uh, last question is, what does living a legacy mean to you? I think this is the time where I'm most excited about since you, are, you have so many different ideas. So I want to know the meaning for you personally, what does living a legacy mean? So the, way, the, the definition of legacy, the, the meaning of legacy is like a, a person on a journey, like a person on a mission. And I think, so I'm, like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned inner theme. So an inner theme is a universal message that everyone needs to hear, but only you can deliver. So it's something that everyone should hear, but only you can deliver it. So my inner theme is humanity to the power of ideas. Everyone, I believe that every human being should, should have the potential to reach their full creative potential. Like right? that's a universal message. Everyone should be as creative as possible and everyone should share their best ideas with everyone and everyone should pick up the best ideas from everyone else. If we did that, the world would be a much better place. That's a universal message. Everyone agrees with it, but I believe I'm the best position to do that because I've been studying creativity for over 20 years and I've done it globally on a human scale and, in, and go to 20, 30, 40, 35 countries per year and interview thousands of people around them. And there are very few people who have studied creativity on such a broad human, from a, so such a broad human uh, place. So everything that I do, like why am I on this podcast? Because you want to interview me about creativity. And I think that the people who follow you and want to learn about creativity, if I can infuse some, inspire them to be more creative, it's in line with my humanity to the power of ideas mission. And then my, my definition is that I'm the creativity explorer and to explore means to venture into unknown territory in order to learn more about something. And I want to learn, I want to venture into the unknown territories of human creativity and learn more about it. So if I die uh, or if I die, when I die and people look back and say, well, he, Frederick, uh, found out new things about creativity and spread that to a lot of people to make them feel that they would like that they should push their own creativity, that they should reach their full or discover their full creative potential. Then that's my legacy. Okay, great. Really great response. And I think that's a very well wrapped up episode as well. Thanks for being on the podcast, Frederick. If you guys enjoyed this podcast, a lot about creativity, a lot about questioning, a lot about thinking beyond the norms and questioning and breaking down the fundamentals, uh, do make sure to check out Frederick at FrederickHaran.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do make sure to like, subscribe, and leave a review on what your biggest takeaways are. Until the next episode, start living your legacy, my friends.